It's a real privilege, and I mean that, to have Brother Adrian Hendricks here with us this morning, his wife Emma from India, the country of India. I got an email, I think it was late last night or early this morning, reminding us to pray for Pastor Andrew in the country of Turkey that's under house arrest right now. And, and we, we so many places in the world where uh, missionaries and People aren't allowed to come in and bring the gospel. India, we were reminded in Sunday school this morning, is one of those countries. So thank God for the believers that are there in sharing the same gospel that we're sharing here in America. And uh, Brother Adrian, you come and share what's on your heart today. We appreciate you being here with us. God bless you, brother. Sure glad for that good singing this morning, the choir and the trio. Thank God that he has his own people, his own singers, and the devil hasn't taken all of them yet. Sometimes we look at the best being taken away, but we thank God for that wonderful ministry of music. I do appreciate uh, Pastor Frank Hall and his, uh, his family, all of them, uh, the preachers, the, the musicians. They've been such a blessing and encouragement to our family. And Brother Steve, we really appreciate your ministry in this church. I'm telling you, this sound system is excellent. And uh, right from, uh, you know, the, the mics for singing to the audio system, it's good. Someone has taken personal interest to, to get that uh, way up there. So I must say, I commend you. Not all churches have that. There are some days you just got to play around and there's music happening at the back there. But uh, thank God for those who have done this. It all works together, you know. It just helps the preacher, helps the singers, and it's all done for the glory of God. Uh, for those of you who missed the morning uh, Sunday school hour, just want to remind or introduce myself again. I'm Adrian Hendricks. This is my wife, Emma. We are nationals in India, uh, the country of India, and uh, we are missionaries on deputation in the U.S., and we go back to India in less than a month uh, to serve in the field that God has called us. We are among our own people. And so that makes it easier for us to get through to them. And they can't throw us too far away from them. You know, they can just shun us away, but then we're going to come back to haunt them again. So you pray for us that God will keep us faithful in serving the Lord. Our, our ministry is primarily in the city of Bangalore, which is in the southern part of India. But it reaches, uh, in the city of Bangalore, we have uh, an independent Baptist church. Heritage Baptist Church, and we are in the process of planting another church within that city. By the way, the population of Bangalore is 12.3 million people. So that's a lot of people in a small city. And so we have people all over the place. And the ratio of the population is most of the time 80% Hindus in almost all the states. Some states it goes to 95%. So they, that is the majority 14% Islam, Muslims, and 5% are Christians. That's the, that's the population overall for India, which has 1.3 billion as the population. For those of you who are not able to figure out what are these numbers all about, if you can just picture the map of the United States of America. Got that in your mind? Now you slice that into one third. Just take one third of the United States. That's India for you, the landmass. Take the population of the USA, multiply it four times. 
put it onto that landmass that you pictured in your mind. That's India. Believe me, there's people all over. The question my wife and I ask most of the time when we're on the highway is, where are the people in America? We just look around and we see green lands and, and so much of trees and you just have to get to the next city or the next uh, county to find people. But in India, you don't have to search for them. They're all over the place. But just to think of 95% of that population, Hindus and Muslims. And that 5% that is remaining, Roman Catholics, Jehovah's Witness, Seventh-day Adventists, Mormons. Wait a minute. They don't know Jesus. They're not saved. So what's the percentage that is saved? A fraction of all of that. I know God's got his people somewhere. Uh, there are lots of secret believers and we may not know that headcount till the rapture takes place. But these are the facts and figures before you. India is in need of Jesus Christ. And with the doors to foreign missions closing, only nationals can reach India. You pray for us. God has called us at such a time as this to be his servants that we will remain faithful. We are at about 70% in our support level. And we have less than a month to go. A few churches have promised to take us on sometime in the year or the next year. We are praying God will raise that support to 100. We started a learning center, which is actually a kind of a school, but we don't call it because the Indian government will come after us. It's a, a learning center that brings in kids from the streets who will not otherwise go to school. And these kids cannot afford a tuition. There's no one who's going to care for them, whether they get educated or they become anybody in life. We bring them into our church. From Monday to Friday, we have classes from 8.30 till 3 o'clock. We start with the chapel. We go into regular Christian curriculum. And then we, we have a Bible class every day for them. Hindus, Muslims, Christians. They come, they learn. They come to know the love of Jesus. They get saved. And those kids are back Sunday morning for church because they have found real meaning and purpose in life. And I thank God. In fact, some of them cry when it's 3 o'clock. They say, can we stay back, please? Can we stay here for tonight? I have kept them back just once. But I might just do that more often when I go back because we love to just fellowship with them, eat with them, and, and talk to them more about the Lord. It costs us about $35 a month for this child's education because we need to pay the staff. We need to get stationary. If God burdens you to support a child, grab that prayer card and do something about it. But our real need has been our building. Our building, which is about probably one-fourth, I would think, the size of your auditorium or one-third of it. But it goes up three levels. We have the church at the bottom with the baptistry. We have the Bible college and the learning center. We have the parsonage and prophet's chamber. All of that in one unit. And that's going to be up in the market for sale in less than a year and a half. We are praying the Lord will help us raise $90,000 as a down payment for that property. We already have got 20000 And we believe the Lord will help us through if he wants us to have that property. Partner with us. Pray with us. Because this is the time to be involved in God's work. Whatever you may be doing, you can pray. Whatever you may be doing, you can go and minister. And if God leads you to give, then may you just obey His voice.
I've, I've been just thinking about all the hurricane warnings that have been coming by and almost every channel on the television or every uh, station on the radio. There's been so much of reminders about hurricane warning and to stay safe. Even people who don't care for the weather, don't care for all that happens, they've been talking a lot about it over a cup of coffee or just sitting down and saying, are you going to this area? You be careful. You... We, we are just so prepared when we know of something that's going to come by our way and going to destroy our property and our bodies. But do we care? Something greater than this is coming our way. Something greater than this is going to engulf the whole world. It's called the day of God's wrath. It's a day of reckoning. It's a day when everybody in the world cannot escape to another city or another state, but they will have to face the wrath of God. And we don't prepare for it. We just push it aside as if that's not going to happen. I pray for those who are in difficulties at this time because of the storm. Lost their house, lost their, uh, you know, family members. I think there were about five deaths, the most recent that I saw. But our heart goes out to them. But greater still will be that day when there will be so many who will run and ask the rocks to fall on them, but they will have no way of escape. Thank God for that holy place. Thank God for that veil that was torn apart. Thank God for our Savior who made the way for every one of us to be saved. Irrespective of our color or nationality, there is salvation in the name of Jesus Christ today. Oh, that you would come and receive his forgiveness. I'm telling you, today is the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time. If you're a visitor or you've just been coming to church, but you haven't given your life to Jesus Christ, don't play around. I'm telling you, God is speaking to us in so many ways. Just about three weeks ago, there was a terrible flood that came uh, into my neighboring state. And there was no warning. There was just heavy rains. And they didn't realize that those rains will call the ri- cause the rivers to flood. They didn't realize that that dam which was, you know, withholding the water is going to burst open. And before people could realize, they had water all over. Just reminded me of the flood in Noah's day. And I had a preacher who visited my church this morning. And when I say this morning, it's because India is nine and a half ahead of us. So they finished their morning service and probably getting to bed after the evening service. While we are still in our morning service. I got to speak to the preacher um, last, last night, which was early morning for them. And he was telling me about the tragedy, the loss of life and property. But you know what, folks? These earthquakes... These tsunamis, these hurricanes are all of God's messengers, which God is reminding us of greater things that's going to come upon this world. This whole earth is churning and groaning for its redemption. It's waiting for a renewal, which will happen when the Prince of Peace sets his foot on this earth. But I'm telling you, before that happens, there's going to be a seven years of tribulation. I'm not preaching prophecy today. I'm not preaching from the book of Revelation. But it was on my heart today to just ask you, are you prepared? What more should God do to get your attention? And that's what I've titled this morning's sermon. What will it take God to get your attention? 
God speaks in a still small voice. I mean, if those songs, those special songs, that choir, that congregational singing, if all of that did not tug your hearts to thank God for the salvation you have, to thank Him for what He has done on the cross, and if it hasn't triggered in your heart to say, I am resolved, I will hasten, I will go to Him. If that response doesn't come to you, then I'm telling you, what is it going to take God to get your attention? If we cannot respond today and say, I will serve thee because I love thee. After all he's done for me, how can I do less but give him my best? After all he's done for me. God got my attention when I was a 10-year-old. I was born in a family that is Roman Catholic. All I knew was just go to church when you like to go. There was not, no compulsion to go every week. But we were Christmas Christians. We were Easter Christians. We made sure we never missed church for those special occasions. But the rest of the time, God was not a priority. I went and worshipped a little Jesus called Infant Jesus. He's anything but an infant because he's so tall. I don't think an infant is so tall. They've given the wrong name to that idol, but he's called Infant Jesus. Miraculous Infant Jesus. And I remember my dad going there. And it's a Thursday worship, by the way, not a Sunday. It's a Thursday worship. And Thursday, the church is packed. And I used to go there with my parents. I used to worship those idols. I used to come back home. And on my way back home, my dad would stop at the bar, alcohol store. He would pick up his bottle for the night and come back home. And he would drink. And I would watch how he would force my mom to join him because he needed company. And I would watch how they both would get intoxicated. And it will all begin very calm and quiet. And before you realize... There were fireworks at home. There was war at home. There was bloodshed at home. There was restlessness at home. And I just knew that this is not what God meant life to be if there was a God. And as a 10-year-old, I would just walk out of my house, stand next to a tree, and if that tree had a voice, it would speak to me. And I would look up and say, God, if you are there, speak to me. If you are there, is this life? If this is life, I don't want to live. As a 10-year-old, I was fed up of living. My brother was 15. He tried committing suicide. We had nothing to look forward to. It was just heartache. It was broken pieces. It was sorrow. But God heard that cry. He sent an American missionary all the way from the U.S. down to India, to my city, to my town, for me. As a 10-year-old, I walked into Sunday school, listened to all the stories, Walking out, the pastor's wife asked me, she said, Adrian, if you die today, where would you spend eternity? Easy question to answer. I said, heaven. She said, how are you so sure? I said, I'm a good boy. I don't do anything bad. Because I don't drink. My parents do. They're bad. Dad smokes. He's bad. I'm good. And she said, well, I'm glad you feel that way. Can I just show you from the Bible? I said, okay. Another Sunday school lesson? Sure, why not? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. She said, all means all and that's all, Adrian. I said, even me? She said, yes. She said, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And that was one day I felt condemned. I looked at myself worse than my parents. I said, Lord, they need you, but I need you too. And as a little 10-year-old, I asked Jesus to come and save me that morning. 
Nothing changed around me, but something changed within me. I came back home to alcohol. I came back to heartache. But I had a peace in my heart that the world could not take away. I would kneel next to my parents. And there were times dad would be so violent. And he would calm down because the power of Christ would take hold of him. My mom got saved. She got delivered from alcohol. Dad was a hard nut to crack. He stayed on. Mom died when she was 65. Her liver was completely spoiled. Dad had no liver. He had no lungs, but I didn't know how he lived. He lived till he was 80. And I think he lived because Jesus had to save that soul. And on the last day of his breath, last day of his life on planet earth, I returned back from couples fellowship and I met with dad and he was not refusing food. And I I asked him, I said, dad, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you eating? And he began to look around and he began to call my mom's name and she had died seven years ago. I said, yes, dad, mom's with Jesus. Then he began to say, his mouth was just twisting. And I said, yes, dad, Jesus is always here. He loves you. I didn't give an altar call. I didn't preach the gospel, but dad heard it enough all those years. And he said, Lord, forgive me. Wash me. Receive me. I I accept you. And he died. And God gave me the joy of seeing my two parents go to be with him. And I know they they are just cheering me on to finish the course that God has called me to do. God got my attention when I was a 10-year-old by by creating that need in my home where I began to find the need for God in my life. But I ask you this morning, what is it going to take God to get your attention? For God to just let you know what's the purpose of your life. Why am I on planet Earth today? I need to go to work. I need to get my salary. I need to take care of my family. Uh, Sunday, I need to go to church. Wednesday, I need to go to church. Is that what we are living for? Or is there something more in why God saved you? I think if you don't get that purpose, you're going to just live every day as it comes. You're just going to do what you want to do and feel good in your heart that you did something. But you're going to miss God's best. God is just speaking to you in a still small voice today. But he's going to get your attention if you don't hearken. For Moses, it took the burning bush. On a casual day, he saw a green herb just burning up. And he said, this is a strange sight. And God spoke to him and said, Moses, what are you doing here? I got to work for you there. Isaiah was ministering to God, uh, ministering to God's people. He was preaching. He was condemning the crooked ways of God's people. But in Isaiah chapter 6, it says, I saw also the Lord. But it says before that, in the year that King Uzziah died. In the year of that defeat, in the year when it looked like that king will recover. I think Isaiah and he were close relatives. I think Isaiah prayed much to see deliverance for that king. You can read about his life later on. I'm not going to go into details. But in that year of his death, God got Isaiah's attention. And from chapter 6 onwards, you'll see a different Isaiah, a different way of him ministering. Oh, I think of Belshazzar in the Old Testament, one of the kings of Babylon. He had taken all of God's vessels from the temple. He had polluted it with his 
debauchery and his, his filthy worldly lifestyle. And there comes the writing on the wall. And this king who was drunk, his knees began to shake. He got sober and God got his attention. And God spoke to him. I have weighed you and found you faulty. Today's the day you're going to pack up. God knows how to get our attention. He got it pretty well when he got Jonah in the whale's belly, right? Oh yeah. I don't know whether he was kneeling or crawling, but he was praying in the whale's belly. And you will see in the whale's belly, he says, salvation belongeth unto the Lord. <laughs> what a statement. But where? In the belly. In the belly. Of the whale. God will get a whale to get you, to get your attention. As we come down to the New Testament, I think of Peter. How much the Lord told him. Peter was so confident, Lord, all others may forsake you, but not me. God said, Peter, you're going to deny me thrice. And Peter was just sure he's not going to do that, but he walked that path and he thrice said he did not know the Lord and the rooster. Woke up early that morning and did its job and got Peter's attention. Peter heard and he saw the Lord looking at him. And the Lord's look was not a look of condemnation, but Peter, I love you. I told you it was coming. This morning, for the few minutes I have before I close, would you turn with me to the book of Acts? The book of Acts, chapter 8. I'm just going to read a few verses here. Talking about a man whose attention God got. And God clearly stated what he had for his life. Chapter 8 of the book of Acts and verse number 1. And Saul was consenting unto his death. We're talking about the death of Stephen in the previous chapter. If you look at chapter 7 and verse number 58. And cast him out of the city and stoned him. That's Stephen. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. Here is Saul. He has got authority, power. He is just wanting to do what's right according to his mind and his knowledge. He's wanting to finish this new religion called the way or Christianity, whatever it is. And he thought he was doing what was right. As you come down to chapter 8, it says here, verse 3, And as for Saul, he made havoc of the church entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. We're not talking about a Hitler here. We're not talking about someone who's godless. We're talking about someone who loves God. This is Saul who thought he was doing what was right for God. He thought he was pleasing God. And maybe you are like that here this morning. You just want to love the, you love the Lord. You want to please Him. You want to do what's best, but you're doing it your way. You're just saying, God, I want to serve you like this. I want to give like this. I want to do this, God. I hope you're going to accept it. And God is trying to tell you this morning, it's his way or no way. If you want God to be exalted, then you've got to respond to what God is telling you, not what you are telling God. And so we find as we move to chapter 9, verse 1, And Saul, yet breathing out threatening and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest. He got the letters. And now he's heading out on his path of destruction. Verse number three. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus. And suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. 
he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And, he, and the Lord answered, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? What is it going to take God to get you to that place where you will say, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? It's so often we say, Lord, I want to do this for you. I think I'll do this for you next year, Lord. After my child graduates, after I get married, after I get that increase, after my health improves, I think I want to do this for you. Not so. He just signed a blank check and said, Lord, you fill it in. What will thou have me to do? Have you ever said that to the Lord? Have you ever laid your life before the Lord? What is it going to take God to get you there? It took God to blind Saul. It took God to knock him off of his horse for him to realize that. Would you respond today as God speaks to you in this atmosphere, in that still small voice, would you say, Lord, what will thou have me to do with my life? You have given everything to me. And I think just when Jesus said those words, who art thou, Lord? I am Jesus. I don't know what happened to Saul because he was blinded. He could see no man, but he heard the voice and all the images of the cross must have come by. Oh, that latest sermon that he heard of Stephen. Oh, he watched Stephen being stoned and his brains just bursting out and those clothes laid at his feet. I don't know what Paul went through, but it was conviction of the deepest kind. It was a conversion that was inside out and it was a commitment Till the end. What wilt thou have me to do, Lord? Complete resignation to self. Complete resignation to his plans and his desires. He just laid it at the Lord's feet. And this is what the Lord told him. As we just read on in verse 15. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, speaking to Ananias. For he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles. Verse 16. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Dear people, it's not going to be easy for you. If you want to be a witness for Jesus Christ, you got to suffer for him. The Bible says they that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. If you tell me your life is free of persecution, I wonder whether you're living a godly life. Because the persecution you will face is first from your own self. The things you want to do, you can't do. The things you should not do, you do. Oh, wretched man that I am. You'll have that battle in you. You will have persecution from your own family who will mock at you and who will discourage you. And if they support you, praise God for them right now. Man's foes are the greatest when they are of his own household, right? But I'm telling you, you will have persecution in your workplace. You will have persecution wherever you want to stand up for the Lord. You don't need to go to a third world country. The enemy is right here. He knows how to get us. And he knows how to stop the salt from being salt and the light from being light. If you want to live for the Lord, you will face persecution. But listen to what 
Paul says, and I'll close with this. Paul, speaking about this conversion experience in chapter 26 of the same book, standing before Agrippa and witnessing to him as to why he's doing what he's doing. Acts chapter 26. He recollects that day in verse 13. At midday, O king, I saw the way, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun. Can you imagine that? God had to shine a light brighter than the sun for this strong man to be knocked down. And he knew this was not natural. This was supernatural. He was knocked off his horse. He was blind. But that was not everything. Verse 14. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me. And he reminds himself of that. Verse 15. I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus. But verse 16. But rise and stand upon thy feet. For I have appeared unto thee for this purpose. And dear people, I dare say this morning, you are saved for this purpose. You are not saved to make money on planet earth. You are not saved to become popular and get famous here. But you are saved to serve God till Jesus comes. He wants you to occupy till he returns. He wants you to be a witness till he returns. And he says, for this purpose, what is it? To make thee a minister and a witness. A minister is someone who does something. He serves. A witness is someone who speaks. He testifies. One is what you do. The other is who you are. You are saved to serve. By being a witness, speaking, testifying, and by serving the Lord in ways that he will lead you to. And what's all of this going to Add up to, verse 17, delivering thee from the people. That means you're going to go through persecution. You're going to face challenges. But God says, I'll be with you. But look at the end result, verse 18. To open their eyes, the eyes of those who are blinded. To turn them from darkness to light. From the power of Satan unto God. That they may receive forgiveness of sins. Dear people, what a ministry we are called into. Have you yielded to God? And Paul says here in verse number 19, Wherefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. I ask you this morning, how obedient have you been to that heavenly vision? If you have never come to that cross of Jesus Christ, and realize that it was for you he died. It was for you his blood was shed. And if you've not acknowledged him as your Lord and Savior, won't you do that this morning? That's a new beginning of life for you. To be forgiven. To be accepted in the beloved. But if you have been saved, and the precious blood has bought you, then I ask you today, have you said, Lord, what will thou have me do? I am your prized, purchased possession. I'm not my own. I belong to you. What will thou have me to do? God is just looking for those who are willing and available. He's not looking for anything else. But I'm not able. I'm not talented. I'm not gifted like pastor. Oh, I don't have the gift of singing. No, he's not asking for that. He's asking, are you available? And are you willing? And if you can say this morning, I'm available and willing. 
what wilt thou have me to do? God's got a purpose for saving you. If heaven was the reason why you are saved, then you should be there right now and not at Valley Baptist Church. The fact that you're alive and you're in the church is not just for you to come and hear a message. This is good. This is strengthening. But once you leave these doors, this is for that. You are here to be strengthened so you can go and be a witness and a minister. Have you been obedient? I end with what I asked you at the beginning. What will it take God to get your attention? Would you obey him this morning, right here? Or would you wait for God to do something else to get your attention? Pastor, request you to close as God leads you. With our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, could I challenge each one of us to do this? <clears throat> Would you get the, those words on your mind and heart right now? I know right now the devil will put so many thoughts in our minds. We start packing up, getting ready to leave the service. Will you get those words on your mind and heart right now? Lord, what will thou have me to do? Would you pray that as a prayer right now? Just talk to the Lord. And no matter what, I just think about those words and that thought. Would you stand with me while heads are bowed, eyes are closed? Now keep thinking about that. Pray that prayer right now. Talk to God. Say, Lord, young people, children, visitors, members, Lord, what will thou have me do? I'm going to ask the pianist to begin to play on the piano. If you're here today, keep thinking, Lord, what will thou have me do? If you're not 100% sure that Jesus Christ is your Savior, did you know your heart could stop beating? You could fall over dead. I'd have to stop this invitation, call the rescue squad or somebody. We know that. We know that. Where would you go? Heaven or hell? Do you know Jesus? If not, you know what God wants you to do. He wants you to acknowledge your sin and trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. Would you do that right now? You say, Pastor, I need someone to help me. Here's what I want you to do. Here's what I believe the Lord would have you do. No obligation to this church. We just want to help you. Right where you stand, you can reach out and say, Dear Lord Jesus, yes, I acknowledge my sin. Jesus died for me. He was buried, rose again. I don't understand all that. You can trust Jesus Christ right now. But if you need someone to help you, would you start down the aisle? Just nudge the people around you. They'll let you out. When I see you coming, I'll meet you right down here. I'll say, why did you come forward? And you may say, preacher, I don't know whether I'm saved or not. I've got to get this thing settled. You know, every time I hear the story of Saul getting saved, we call him the Apostle Paul, God had to knock him down to the ground, didn't he? And you know, in one way or another, God has to knock every one of us down. It may not be literally to the ground, but it may be a 10-year-old boy that just comes to the end of himself and says, I have no reason to leave. God has a way of knocking every one of us into the dust, doesn't He? And it usually takes that to break us of our old rotten pride. See our sin. Young people, please listen. Everyone, please listen. If you're not saved today, would you reach out to Jesus? Come to Jesus. Can we help you with that? We'll let one of our men, one of our ladies, just 
pray with you one-on-one. Take the Bible and show you how to be saved like that pastor's wife did, Brother Adrian, years ago as a 10-year-old boy. Take the Bible. You may, whether you ever come back to this church or not, that's not the issue. The issue right now is will you come to Jesus? I, I, I just sort of suspect in a crowd this size, there's somebody here today that's lost without Jesus. Are you still saying, Lord, what will you have me to do? Are you asking the Lord what he would have you to do? You're going to have to face him one day. Would you not come to Jesus today? Now, while we're waiting for that one who may need to be saved, what about you and me? What about this preacher here today? Am I really truly saying, Lord, what will thou have me to do with whatever life I have left? Whatever riches or material things I may have? The rest of the day, my children, my family, my wife, am I really willing to say, Lord, what are your plans? Young people, oh, young people, I hope you're listening. I hope the Spirit of God's got a hold of your hearts today and you're saying, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And grandpas and grandmas, moms and dads, oh, it's not just getting to heaven. It's don't live a life of wasted years. Wasted years, wasted years. Oh, how foolish. Lord, can you call him Lord today? What wilt thou have me do? Can we help you? I hope right where you're standing that every one of us with the grace of God is doing business with the Lord. I want to ask the pianist to play one more verse and that's all. Unless, of course, people start responding, we'll stay here all day. (laughs) If we can help you, please just take that first step. I've been there. I've been there where you are. Take that first step and God will help you. God's waiting for you. God's waiting for you. If we can help you, would you come right now? Whether you need to be saved, there's some other burden on your heart, anything that we can help you with. Lord, what will thou thou have me do, O God? What's your plans? What's your will for my life?